city. So before we pray, before we get into God's word this morning, I wanted to mention and remind us that we are officially in Black History Month. And throughout the month of February, here at First Church, we will acknowledge and we will reflect on the rich tapestry of God's creation and the incredible contributions that our black brothers and sisters have made. Just as every color in the spectrum uh, enhances the beauty of, of a painting, the diversity of humanity, it enhances us all. So let us celebrate the achievements, the resilience, and the faith of black individuals who have played pivotal roles in shaping history. As Christians, we recognize that every person is fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. And so in embracing the diversity that God created, we honor him and we honor each other. So may, we, may this month be a time of learning, of reflecting, of understanding, of growth and unity as we stand together bound by the love of Christ and appreciate the heritage, the culture, and the faith of our black brothers and sisters. In recognizing their history, we acknowledge the profound impact that they've made on the world. And make no mistake, hear me when I say this, church. Black history is our history also. It's our history as a nation. It's our history as believers. And it's our history as a movement. Yes, as the Church of God movement. And so I just want to share really quickly a great example for all of you now. I want to introduce you to Reverend Diane Swoop. And Reverend Swoop, she served as a senior pastor at the Arlington Church of God in Akron, Ohio, and she served that community for over 40 years. And so Sister Swoop was born in Detroit in 1955. She moved to Memphis right after high school where she earned a degree in biology from Memphis State University. Her plan was to go on to medical school and become a doctor but God had other plans. And in 1981, at the age of 26, the Lord called her into the ministry. She moved, from, in, she moved to Akron, where she became an intern at the Arlington Church of God. And during that time, she earned a master's degree in Christian education from Anderson University, and she went on to attend Ashland Theological Seminary, where she earned a doctoral degree in ministry. Yes, Reverend Swoop became Dr. Swoop and became the senior pastor of the church in 2009. And over the course of her career, she started many servant ministries and service programs inside the walls of the church and in the community at large. For example, she founded the Arlington Christian Academy, where she presided as principal for over two decades, which means that she was both the pastor and the principal at the same time. And during her tenure there, 98% of the kids who graduated went on to earn college degrees. Reverend Dr. Diane Swoop held positions in leadership nationally in both the Church of God and the National Association of the Church of God. She was an accomplished author, a pastor, a dynamic preacher, an outstanding educator, a wife, a mother, and a mentor to so many women in ministry, including our very own Pastor Crystal Culp, who knew her personally and considers her one of her heroes. In 2020, Dr. Swoop went on to be with the Lord. And based on the body of work, I think it's safe to say that she heard the words that we all hope to hear one day. Well done, good and faithful servant. Thanks for letting me share with you. Let's pray. 
Lord, thank you so much, God, for allowing us the privilege of gathering and worshiping corporately, Lord. You've heard our voices through the worship, but now it's time for us to hear your voice through your word, through the message. And so, God, just prepare our hearts, clear our minds, open our eyes so that we can see and understand what it is you have for each one of us this morning. Amen. So, uh, friends, this morning we are starting here at First Church a brand new sermon series that's titled Restore. And over the course of this series, we're going to be talking about the vision of First Church, what it is, why it matters, what it looks like, and how we are going to go about accomplishing it. So I just want to share a quick story with all of you. Um, back in 1993, when I was in high school, uh, my very first car was a 1967 Mustang. Is anyone familiar with that vehicle? It was a 1967 Mustang. I was 16 years old, and my dad helped me buy this car for a whopping $300. Now, that's a really, really cheap price, so you can only imagine what this car looked like. The body was intact, but little else was. I mean, this car had issues. The engine was blown. The interior was completely thrashed. There was a huge hole on the passenger side, on the floor of the passenger seat. It was missing mirrors. The trunk didn't close properly. Letters off of the back were missing. I mean, and so many other things just to list a few. That car was tore up from the floor up. That thing, when my dad drove it up to the house, it looked more like a time machine than it did a Mustang. It was in really, really rough shape. But you know something? It was still a classic 1967 Mustang. And there was a time when that car was brand new. And when it came off of that assembly line, that car was in mint condition. It was perfect, right? It was beautiful. It was ideal. And even though I struggled to see it in that moment, my dad saw it. My father knew. He knew what that car used to be, and he knew what that car could be once again. And he shared that vision with me. He sold me on it. So we both decided to restore it. It took time, a lot of time. It took resources, it took effort, and it took commitment. Friends, if you've been around here for a while, you've probably heard the first church mission statement uh, summed up in three words. Restoring God's ideal. That's the vision of our church. That's the vision that our Father has given to us. And so the question is, what does it mean to restore God's ideal? What does that mean? And how do we, as a church, as a family, as brothers and sisters in Christ across four campuses, go about this restoration? So the first thing I want to do for us, before we go on any further, is, is define the word restore. And so here it goes. Here's the definition. To restore something is to return someone or something to a former condition, place, or position. It is to repair or renovate something so as to return it to its original form. That's what it means to restore something. That was my goal with that 67 Mustang, to repair it, right? To renovate it and to return it to its original mint condition. That's what it means to restore something. Now, our vision at this church is to restore God's ideal. And to do that, we must first know what God's ideal was, 
how we lost it so that we can then know how to restore it once again. So what exactly is God's ideal? Well, we discover God's ideal in the very first chapter of the very first book of the Bible. In, in its Genesis chapter 1, the creation story, and it simply starts like this. Chapter 1, book 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know what that means, church? It means that God created absolutely everything. It means that He designed it all. And over the first 25 verses of Genesis 1, we see God make the sky, water, land, plants, lights, right? Lights that define the day and define night. Fish, birds, animals, and so much more. And every time that God makes something, he declares it to be good. In verse 4, in verse 10, in verse 12, 18, 21, and 25, they all say the same thing. God saw it and it was good. That means it was perfect. It was ideal. By the way, that's what ideal actually means. Ideal literally means perfect. That's the definition. So God creates this good and ideal place, but he's not done. He actually saved the very best for last. Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 27, they famously say this, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now notice that God says, let us make man in our image. Us and our are plural. And you know why? Because our God is plural. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And what that tells us is that before creation, before Genesis 1-1, God had always existed in community and in relationship. And here is where it gets really, really incredible. God says, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness. And then he does it. And then he does it. He creates mankind, male and female, in his, his image and in his likeness. That is absolutely incredible. But what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, here it is. Being made in God's image means that we look like him. Being made in God's likeness means that we are made to act like him. It means we are to model, resemble, and imitate our God. The apostle, I love the way the apostle Paul puts this in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1. He just simply says this, imitate God therefore in everything that you do because you are his dear children. Listen, children oftentimes tend to look like their parents, right? They look like them, but they also imitate their parents. They learn their behavior. And Paul says, don't just look like God, but be and act like God. Imitate God in everything that you do. In other words, act like your father. And you know what, what God is like? Well, we saw it back in, in verse 26 and 27. He is relational. He is in community. Church, God's ideal is that we would be in deep relationship with him. I'll put it this way. If there's a point to be made here, it's this. God made us to look like him, to act like him, and to live with him. 
Brother, sister, God made you to look like him, to be like him, and to do life with him. That is God's ideal. That is God's design. And that is what you and I are made for. And once God had created human beings, this is what happens next. Genesis 1.31 says this, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Notice at this time, it's not just good, but it's very good. And so God creates everything, this incredible and beautiful planet where the waters, land, and the skies have this abundance and diversity of life with every sort of plant and animal that we can imagine. And with that abundance of life, there is also an abundance of sustenance, more than enough for all of God's creatures to thrive, to be fruitful, and to multiply. That's God's ideal. That is God's perfect design. And Genesis 2 tells us that God placed this man that he created in a garden called Eden. And what's really remarkable to me is that the Bible actually gives a very specific location, geographical location of this garden. And so Eden is the place and the context where God places the man, a place where his needs are completely met, a place where he is where he can thrive, a place where he's an intimate and daily relationship with God himself. He's in harmony with creation, and he's in harmony with the creator. And then something happens. Something really interesting happens in chapter 2, verse 18. Listen to this. Then the Lord said, it's not good. It is not good that the man should be alone. This is a really extraordinary statement for several reasons. Uh, it's, it's really incredible, and here's why. Because up to now, every time God did something, every time God made something, he concluded that it was good. In fact, he said it was very good. But here we see a different conclusion. And, and mind you, this is before sin had entered the world and broken things. God says it's not good. That means it's not ideal for people to be alone. And you might think, look, Adam wasn't alone. He, he was with God. He was in this, in this really deep relationship and in the company of God himself. And yet God still concludes that it's not enough and that this situation is yet still not ideal. And so God creates another human being. He creates a woman and calls her Eve. So The Lord God, who is a relational God, who has always existed in community, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, decides that humans should not do life alone. We're made in His likeness, and that means that we live in community like He does. We are to live in community like He does. Church, God's ideal is for us to be in relationship with Him, but also to be in relationship with with our neighbors, with one another. God made us to be in relationship, in unity with him and with each other. And Jesus alluded to this. Look, there's there's a very famous story, right? The religious leaders, they come to Jesus, they approach him and they say, Lord, of all the commandments, which is the most important one? In other words, what's the most important thing of all? 
And Jesus says this to them in Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31. He says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Amen. Amen. What's, amen, brother, amen. What's most, impo- what's most important of all, church? Love God and love your neighbor. There's nothing, absolutely nothing more important in, than that. Nothing matters more to God than that. That was always his intention, and that was and still is God's ideal. Friends, what we see in the Garden of Eden is truly ideal. Man is in harmony with God with himself, with others, and with the world around him. It's perfect. It's ideal. So far, so good. But then Genesis chapter 3 happens. Something happens. And that something is that Adam and Eve, they choose to disobey God. And in one act of disobedience, sin enters the world and it changes everything. God's ideal is now gone. The union is broken. The relationship is completely fractured because that's what sin does. It fractures and destroys relationships. And listen, you know that it's true. I mean, just think of your own relationships, whether it's with God or or with family members or friends or neighbors, coworkers, whoever it is, sin destroys relationships. When people hurt us, when we hurt others, it drives a wedge between us, doesn't it? When, and the same is true when we sin against God. It causes a separation. And if there's a point to be made here, it's this. Church, sin destroys God's ideal. Sin always destroys God's ideal. And exhibit A of this truth is the Garden of Eden. It's found in Genesis chapter 3. They sinned and paradise was lost. And what's interesting to me is that sin didn't just fracture Adam and Eve's relationship with God, but it also had a negative impact in their relationship with each other. Soon after they sin, they start with the finger pointing, right? They start to blame each other. They start to bicker and fight amongst themselves. So the unity and harmony they once enjoyed with one another, that was gone too. That's what sin does. Sin destroyed and sin still destroys God's ideal. And you know something, church? Humans have had a hard time living in unity and harmony ever since. We're still separated and we're still very much divided. Listen, we're separated and divided by class, by race, religion, politics, And that bridge that's down the street, you know which one I'm talking about. That bridge that is anything but a bridge. That bridge that is more of a wall. That bridge that is a painful symbol of separation in our community, in the place where God has placed us. Friends, the impact of sin is all around us. Greed, inequity, broken families, abuse, physical, mental, or sexual, human trafficking, right? War violence, addiction, brokenness, and so much more. The impact of sin 
is all around us. And that is not God's ideal church. What we have now, what we have around us, is my 67 Mustang, right? That's what we have, the one my dad drove up to the house. And it's, and it's going to take time, and it's going to take resources, effort, and commitment to restore. First church, brothers and sisters, our vision is to restore God's ideal. So I think you'll agree with me when I say this. We have a lot of work to do. We have a long, long way to go. Will we ever get there, this side of heaven? Will we ever fully restore God's ideal? No, probably not. But until Jesus returns, we are and will continue to be a church on mission. And we will work diligently toward that end of restoring God's ideal. Listen, earlier I I told you that restoration takes time, resources, effort, and commitment. Well, and it does, but I forgot maybe the most important ingredient of all, prayer. See, prayer not only does it change things, but prayer is the fuel, the fuel behind all of our efforts. I love how what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 verses 9 to 10. He's, he's, He's in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount and he says this, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. That's the key, on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus says, if you want God's ideal to be restored on earth, then you have to pray for it. Friends, God's ideal won't be fully restored until the Lord returns. It will ultimately only be realized then, but we are working for God's kingdom now. As a church, we're working for God's kingdom now. We're working to restore his ideal like we saw in the garden today, now. Amen? Amen. So the ideal is what we had in Eden. The problem is that sin destroyed it. The vision is to restore it. The task is monumental. First church, are you up for it? I mean it. Are you up for it? Amen? Amen. Church, are you up for it? Amen. Friends, I have to tell you, I love the vision that God has given us. And not just the vision of restoring God's ideal, but but, but also, I, I really love the core values that help to support this vision. So let me just quickly share a few of those with you um, just now. So I, I just want to share four of them with you. There are many more, but these are the four I chose to share. So let's just run through them really quickly. We believe, here at First Church, we believe the gospel should be shared. Listen, there is nothing more important than that. So that's a great one. Two, we believe in advocacy for the marginalized. Listen, there is nothing more Jesus than advocating for the marginalized, for the least of these among us. We believe in a body of Christ that is diverse. You know something? I I said this earlier. Revelation 7-9 paints a perfect picture of this, right? And we're working toward that end. And listen, fourth, we believe we are contributors and not just consumers. Do you know what that means? 
It means that all of us serve. It means that all of us are all in. It means that we all grab a shovel and we get to work. It means that Jesus Christ doesn't need any more fans. He's got plenty of those. What he needs is players, people willing to get on the field and work towards restoring his ideal. Now, there are more core values, but I think you get the picture. And I want to say this carefully, but I want to say this honestly. We need to recognize and we need to admit that some of those up there are more aspirational than they are reality right now. If, I, I think you would agree that we still have a lot of work to do in some of these areas. I know I do. But I also feel good about a lot of the things that we are doing in the place where God has placed us, in the communities where God has placed us. Just like God placed Adam and Eve in the garden, I believe the Lord has placed us here in St. Joe, in Berrien County, in Southwest Michigan, across four locations on both sides of the river. And here are some of the ways that we have been working as a church to restore God's ideal. I think it's really, really important that we celebrate. So we're going to do that right now. So speaking of celebrating, Celebrate Recovery is a ministry that's seeing God's ideal restored as people are finding recovery and freedom and Christ. It's awesome. Our newest campus in Eau Claire, let me tell you about that. It's thriving. We actually had over 70 people last Sunday morning, which is almost twice as much as when we started just a couple of weeks ago, just a few months back. And table groups and support groups are meeting all the time, all over the place, across all our campuses. And those help people to grow in relationship with God and in relationship with each other. And there's something else really exciting that's happening among us. It's that young people are responding to the call to vocational ministry. There's, we have a number of young people who are actively right now pursuing ministry degrees, and you know something? I believe that God is going to call so many more. And, and listen, the Laundry Hub, out of Benton Heights, right? The Laundry Hub is a place that's going to bring resources to the people of that community, and it's going to open soon. The machines are finally delivered. They're going to be installed this week, and hopefully it will be operational in no time. That is a lot to celebrate. And our Benton Heights campus is serving a community that is multicultural and multilingual, and we're doing all of this to reach people for Christ. In our Stevensville campus, let me tell you, we just started a service there called The Gathering that is specifically aimed for people with disabilities and their families. And, and, and we're the only church that I know that has campuses on both sides of that bridge. And we're a church that's constantly building stuff, right? Every edifice is meant to edify the kingdom of God. Every building is, is, is meant to, to build God's kingdom and to rebuild the broken relationships between us and God and us and one another. We are, again, think, I want you to think of the opportunity that God has given us to restore his ideal in this community, in the community, which he, in the communities, which he has placed us in, in this location, in this garden, if you will, which he has entrusted us with. But just like that 16-year-old kid 
with that beat up 67 Mustang. We have work to do. And it's going to take time, resources, effort, commitment, prayer, and a whole lot of Jesus to achieve. Friends, until the Lord comes back, we will always be a church on mission. Look, I want to I leave you with this thought. Restoring God's ideal starts with us. It starts with you. It starts with me. And it, it doesn't start out there, okay, outside of, of these walls. It starts in here, and it really, really starts in here. Look, let me, let me I, I forgot to do this in the first service, so I don't want to leave you hanging. Let me tell you what happened to that 67 Mustang. You ready? Over the next four years after I got it, I was able to repaint it. I put new wheels, new tires, new engine. New, you know, the entire exterior got redone, engine two. But I never finished it. I never finished it. I, I ran out of resources. The commitment waned, right? And the part I never restored was the interior of the vehicle. And I could make an argument that that's probably the most important part of the vehicle. See, it looked really good on the outside. It looked really shiny, but the problem was the interior. And that is so often the case with us. Let me, let me take you to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. And I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. Please don't tell Pastor David I did this says this, then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. Listen, anytime we read any passage from the Bible, context is super, super important. This is an Old Testament scripture written for God's people, Israel. And so, while it may not have been written to us, it is definitely written for us, okay? And so this verse starts with the words, if my people who are called by my name. Do you know what we are called? Christians, after the name of Christ. So if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways... I want to stop right there. You know what this is? What's being described there? This is the recipe for repentance. Humility. We pray. We seek the Lord's face. We turn from our wicked ways. This is the recipe for repentance. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That's what my Bible says. So if we humble ourselves, if we come to God in that posture of humility and pray and then seek his face. And I want to stop right there because I don't know about you, brother, sister, but I have that tendency to seek God's hand more than I seek his face. See, I want God to give me and to do for me and to help me. And that's all good, well and good. We should do that. But I have the tendency to seek his hand much more than his face. And when we seek his face, what we're seeking is just him, his presence. And so it says, if we seek my face and then turn from your wicked ways, then what happens? I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and restore their land. There's that word, restore. Restore their land. That's, that's us. 
That's the vision. That's what we want, First Church. Restore. Now, listen, some versions of this verse use the word heal. And let me tell you something. They're both right, actually. Restore or heal, and here is why. See, this, this passage was originally written in, in ancient Hebrew, and the word used here instead of restore is a word you may have heard, rafa. That's the word there, rafa. So you may have heard this. We call, and rafa, it, in its noun form, it means healer. So that's why we call the Lord Jehovah Rapha, right? You've heard that. Okay. But here it's used as a verb, as an action word. And it, in its verb form, rafa means heal, repair, rebuild, restore. What a word. What a word. So if my people repent, then their relationship with me will be restored. And then and only then will there be restoration between them and among them and around them and in the garden and in the community that I have placed them in. Brothers and sisters, first church, God restoring God's ideal, it starts with you. Restoring God's ideal, it starts with us. So let's start right here. Let's start right now. Let's pray. Would you just bow your heads there where you are? Amen. And I just want to just simply ask you, church, just, just a quick prompt. Look, I, I want this to be a time. See, so often we, we want to look outward. We want to look at everything that's wrong around us, everything that's wrong with my neighbor and the people around me. But this Second Chronicles 7.14 is about looking in and then looking up. And so I want to encourage you to do that right now, church. God, examine me, right? And so if you're here this morning and you know there are areas in your life, there are things, maybe there's sin that's destroying that, that close relationship with the Lord. If there are things you need to hand over to the Lord this morning, would you raise your hand? I, just, I want to pray for you. Amen. Listen, my hand's up with yours. God, there are things that I know need to change. And if you're here this morning and you're hearing this and you're like, you know what, Lord, I recognize that maybe I've been more of a, con of a consumer than I have been a contributor. And I know I can do more. In fact, I want to do more. I want to get off of the stands. I want to get on the field. And I want to help restore your ideal in, my fa in myself, in my family, in my community. If that's you, would you raise your hand and just say, Lord, I, I want to help. I'm I want to get in. Everyone's hand should be up right? Amen, amen, amen. Let's pray, church. Father God, thank you so much. Thank you, Lord, for, for, this, for this vision that you've given us as a church. Thank you, Lord, for the example of your ideal that we find in the garden. And thank you, God, that even though sin destroys all of that, you have created a path that leads us back to you, Lord. And it's in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, God, the recipe for repentance, God. And so right now, Lord, we recognize that restoring God's ideal is a monumental task. It's going to take time, resources, prayer, commitment, and it's going to take your help. But before we can do that, God, the first restoring your ideal starts with us and in us. And so God, you saw the hands that were raised, Lord. You saw the hands in recognition, those hands that were raised in humility, Lord, that are crying out to you, God. And Lord, we want to turn from those things that separate us from you, Lord. And God, you also saw the hands of your, of your, of your children that 
have just expressed the desire to do more to build your kingdom and to restore your ideal. God, help us to be that church, that church that obliterates that bridge, that church that edifies your kingdom. We want your will, your kingdom to come and your will to be done on earth in Southwest Michigan as it is in heaven. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And God's church said, amen.